you got it. It's Thanksgiving. Are you, do you like Thanksgiving or Christmas? Can I get a poll? I'm for Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah, Kevin and I are right. <laughs> All right, man. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm in a series I'm kicking off today called World Without End. Now, I do like teaching from the uh, New King James translation of the Bible. Um, I like the poetic prose that's in the New King James, all right? So the original King James uses this phrase, world without end. That's used in the book of Isaiah 45. It's used in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a phrase that basically means forever and forever and forever. And, you know, people have this idea that Jesus is going to come back, and then it's kind of like they think that's it, that's the end. They don't think about the future and what lies ahead. And I, I was really praying and seeking the Lord in the last couple of weeks here what, what to hit, and I could not get away from just hitting on some current events because the world is in such an interesting place right now. So um, I want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, and then I'm going to have you go with me over to Ezekiel 35. So if you've got a foot, you can put it in uh, Ezekiel 35, and you can keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to read the first two verses and then pray. Here's what the scripture says. Uh, concerning the times and the seasons, uh, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, these days that we're in, the times and the seasons. We're grateful uh, to be part of them and to witness them. And I just pray, Lord, uh, you'd stir our hearts and minds, provoke us, uh, give us some insight in these days. And I thank you for a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit right here and right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. So I was thinking about how growing up, my dad would take trips to California every year. That's where Grandma and Grandpa lived at. We'd go down to California, see Disneyland. Every year we go on that trip. And you know, when you're gone for 12 days, 14 days, you, you know, you come home, you're a little tired from all that traveling and being in a motor home for a couple of days. So you want to just sit out and chill. But we got home one day and there was no TVs to sit down to. There was no, uh, you know, VCRs. How many remember VCRs back in those days? Couldn't want. Because someone had cased the place and stolen everything. You remember that? We came home, and the place was cleaned out. All that was left was some couches and clothes. They didn't take too They took all the electronical stuff. And, uh, you know, it was sort of shocking. You come home, and everything's gone. So, you know, that's how it's going to be, the Bible says, when the Lord's coming. Like, people are not going to be prepared. It's going to be a shock for many people. And y- you better be prepared in the days that we're living in for the sudden coming of Jesus. And world events are kind of leading up to this place. So, you know, we need to be wise to the times. We need to be alert and awake to the times and the seasons that we are living in. We're living in what the Bible calls the last days. Uh, The last days begin on Pentecost with the birth of the church. And when he he said, you know, it comes as a thief in the night, I mean, the early church till now, they, they have been living in this period of time as the last days. And we need to be alert to that. And the day of the Lord... Uh, that he talks about here, is actually a, a reference to the Lord's coming. And you know, there's two parts to the day. There's the morning part when you wake up. I'm a morning person. I love to get up early. I love 5 a.m. I'm in the 5 a.m. club. I like to hit the gym. I like to get up. Uh, and, and then there's the latter part of your day, which I also look forward to, is when you go to bed. <laughs> and so I, I think that's kind of what the day of the Lord is like. It, it's the rapture of the church is the beginning of the day. The Lord's return is sort of at the end of the day, the morning and the evening of that day. And what I can say about his return is that it is eminent. It, it is uh, coming at any moment. That's what eminent means. I believe in what's called the doctrine of eminency, which means it could take place at any time. I'm not alone in believing that. 
The Apostle Paul believed that. That's what the early church taught. If you read chapter 4, just a few verses before 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's going to mention what he calls the five uh, we phrases. You know, uh, we believe that Jesus died and rode again. And Paul said, we say to you by the word of the Lord. We who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, Paul said, we who are alive and remain, he said, will be caught up, and we shall always be with the Lord, which means that we, you and I, should know the times and the seasons that we're living in. These are fascinating times. People get scared. They get concerned about what's taking place in the world, but I don't have to be like that. I can get pretty excited for what God is doing in this world because he is in control of all things. Uh, speaking of the times, I want to have you go with me over to the book of Ezekiel 35. And I want to lay out for you uh, a timeline that Ezekiel wrote. And in the middle of putting this together, man, the Lord really put something in my spirit. So I want to teach you about understanding Ezekiel's timeline. He's got a timeline that he is going to follow. And, you know, we, we should know um, about these times. Now, Ezekiel wrote this 2,500 years ago. And it follows sort of a precise timeline. Like, like it's almost like you're reading the front pages of the newspapers today. It's from... Ezekiel's day, he wasn't alone in having a timeline. You know, the prophet Daniel had a timeline, chapter 9, and he mentioned something called the 70 weeks, and he was writing about uh, the period of when the Messiah would be cut off, and he had it down mathematically to a precise time. It's really remarkable if you study Bible prophecy. Now, this section of scripture, Ezekiel, starting in about verse chapter, chapter 34, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 48, it follows a timeline. And he lays things out that happen in subsequent and chronological order. And it's, it's just like from the world we're living in today. Bear in mind, he wrote this thousands of years ago. I want to start in chapter 35 and verse number 1. Watch this. The word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Son of man. And that was the phrase that Ezekiel referred to himself as. Jesus would also use this phrase speaking about himself. He said, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir. Someone say Mount Seir. You know, Mount Seir is where we have present-day Jordan, the country of Jordan, which is right over next to Israel. Set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Say to it, thus says the Lord. He said, behold, O Mount Seir, I'm against you. I'll stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you desolate. Now, Mount Seir, as we said, is the area where Jordan is today. This is comprised of like uh, Arab nations, like the region of the world, the Arab world. You're talking about uh, Syria. Uh, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates. I was blessed enough to get to Dubai earlier this year. It was incredible to see places like that. Uh, now, I want you to jump down to verse number five. He tells them, because you had an ancient hatred and you've shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. Uh, Mount Seir was a nation that attacked Israel in a weak moment years, in their history. Look at verse 10. He said, because you have said these two nations and these two countries, he's speaking about Mount Seir and he's speaking about Israel at that time. He, he said, we're going to possess them. Now, the two nations, the two countries, you know, you could look at today's world, considering this is a prophecy about the future, and you could look at the Arab-Israeli crisis, and you could see, you know, what, what's happening in the world. You know, the Biden administration uh, is coming up with this thing again called the two-state solution. And they have this idea that you can kind of get the Palestinians and the Israelis to live together in, in some sort of state. But the Trump administration had rejected that because it, they've proven it can't work. All that happens is it creates an environment where 
you know, the, the Palestinians are going to be fighting Israelis and vice versa. And it just creates this constant mess. So the first point that I want to make is that the Arab-Israeli crisis is an ancient hatred, fresh out of the pages of the Bible. And this goes all the way back 6,000 years ago, just about 5,000 years ago to the time of Genesis 14, when Abraham you know, had that made, and she had, he had a son with her named Ishmael, with, with Hagar. And Ishmael and Isaac, these were blood brothers. But there's a, a sibling rivalry, an ancient hatred that has existed in the world for all these times. And there's no spiritual solution, or there's no natural solution to this problem. It's a spiritual problem. It has a spiritual solution that goes along with it. That, that idea of a two-state solution is just never going to work. Uh, there's moments of peace, but there's always going to be periods of tension. And that's how world history has played out. It's been that way for you know thousands of years. It will be that way again. Now, I had some interesting feedback because uh, a few weeks ago, you know, I have a friend uh, who is, is a Muslim man. He's, he's a really wonderful, great guy. His family is actually from Gaza, and uh, his wife attends church here. She asked if we could throw him his 50th birthday party. So I said, yeah, we, he's a friend of mine. You know, he's a really nice man. We can have his birthday party back there. And so he had a bunch of uh, friends with his that are, are Muslims, and they were celebrating, and his families were there. And, and you know, it was so interesting. He said, thank you for coming out and surprising me on my birthday. Thank you for celebrating with me. But he said, I, I would ask that you refrain from putting anything on social media about me because I would hate for my family who lives in Gaza to see me celebrating. He told me that he'd lost six cousins in that battle that's taking place right now. And, you know, those are things that, you know, if you have a heart, your heart could go out to people who are in situations like that. There's a lot of pain that exists in that reality. So that there's one solution to this problem. Now, that solution is the return of the Lord. And until that time, we're living in this area of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 would be wars and rumors of wars. Now, I saw an interesting article on the news. It said that we're not living in, in like a world war. We're living in a world at war. And that's what you see taking place, whether it's in the Ukraine, whether it's in this region of the world. But that brings me to uh, the primary source of hatred that exists. I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 36, because here's where Ezekiel is going to prophesy uh, to the nation of Israel. Now, I'm going to read these verses. I want you to bear in mind, he said this thousands of years ago. And this is what he prophesied to them. He said to Israel, I'm going to multiply men to you, all the house of Israel, all of them. The cities shall be inha uh, uh, inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. Someone say rebuilt. rebuilt. Yeah. He said, I'm going to multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I'll make you inhabited like it was back in Bible days. And he said, you'll do better for you than at your beginning. And then you should know that I am the Lord. You know, Ezekiel is describing the restoration of Israel. He's describing it, first of all, in the land, and then he's describing the people coming into their homeland. Uh, the people coming back with, with the restored language. Here, here's the point I want to make in this timeline. Israel has been restored to its land. This is, this is the miracle of the 20th century, man. This is the greatest miracle uh, that the fact that they have been brought back into their ancestral homeland. You know, in my office, I got a book called Israel Rising. And the guy went and took pictures of Israel from 100 years ago and put them up next to pictures of today. And it's exactly what the prophet said. The cities and places have been rebuilt 
It's a populated place like a first world country. It, it's one of the most incredible things in, in the history of the world to witness because you just don't see it anywhere. You, you don't see Aztecs walking around. You don't see Mayans walking around. But you do see Jews back in their land. And that, my friends, is evidence the Bible is a real, up-to-date, relevant book. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting. This thought about Israel's restoration having any significance is totally lost today in universities, especially the secular world. And you're seeing all kinds of people protesting at you know, campuses and colleges. In fact, I was listening to one Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, talk about this very issue. And she said it's interesting to her that older Democrats all support the nation of Israel. But the younger generation of Democrats has no concept for it. it, it it's like they, they, they don't have any historical lens. It could be that the older generation basically grew up around people with biblical worldviews. And when you get younger today and it's not taught and it's exhausted, it's like they lose sight of themselves. It's almost as if history is about to repeat itself. Now, that restoration that happened to Israel, that has come through some very difficult means. Which brings us to the famous passage of Scripture in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. You know what this chapter is about, right? The Valley of Dry Bones, man. Look at chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came on me. He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord. Ezekiel's having a vision right here. And he sees and is set down in the middle of a valley which is full of bones, like a graveyard. And he caused me to pass by all around the bones. And he said, there were very many in the open valley. And he said, indeed, they were very dry, which means they had been there for a long, long time. And he said to me, and he asked the question, son of man, he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? You know what the rabbis believe about this passage of Scripture? If you talk to a rabbi, they believe this is a reference to the Holocaust. Because when they came out of, you know, Birkenbells and, and Auschwitz and, and, and these Jewish people, they were like so emaciated, it was almost like they were skeletons. Look, there was literally a, a and, and what happened with that group of people when they got back into the land, they were able to rebuild. And what was once, you know, an army in a valley of dry bones has become a great army. I love the World War II generation, man. I, I got to live with uh, my grandparents uh, for quite a while. So, you know, I had two grandparents that were. Uh, in World War II, one of them got a Purple Heart at Okinawa. Uh, my other grandpa, he got shot down by the Nazis. And I, I just love, you know, their stories. I love hanging out with them. Because they, they'll talk about those days. And one of the things that was so amazing that was Israel's restoration. You know, Israel's restoration to the land is actually the root cause of the Arab-Israeli crisis. That's really what's at play, man. It, and that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Genesis chapter 12, where he uh, gave the land to Israel. He made a covenant with them. To you, I'm giving them the land. And, and since there's that ancient hatred we talked about, that's what it's over. It's over the conflict of the land that God gave to Abraham. It's interesting to me that you know the Trump administration was working on what's called the Abrahamic Accords, and they were kind of going along in stride until the October 7th attack there that took place in Israel. Uh, I'm telling you, this has far-reaching implications to the modern world that we live in. When you think about the fact that Israel's been restored to its land, here's what it does. is It reveals the accuracy of Bible prophecy. Only the Bible gives you accurate prophecy about things that will take place. It specifically predicts that Israel will come back into its land. I do remember being 
in, the, in uh, the streets of Jerusalem in the old quarter. The last time I was there in 2017. And I remember walking around, I saw an old Jewish man with one of those black hats and curly hair everywhere. And, and I saw him sitting there, and I saw a little child kicking a ball, running up and down the streets. And I remembered what the prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 5. He said, there's a day coming when old men will sit on the streets playing with young men. That's exactly what the Bible said would happen to Israel. They would be removed and they would be restored. No other book makes claims like that. The accuracy of biblical prophecy is amazing. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'll tell you what this reveals is the nature of the battle. You and I are living in a time when there's a spiritual conflict in the world that has natural ramifications for places like Israel. And even to this day, it's a remarkable thing. You know, we got to go to Pakistan. Pakistan is a Muslim country. But they're not Arabs. They're Pashtun people, di different ethnicities. But they're not allowed to go to Israel. They can't go there. I was hanging out with the pastor, the Christians at the church. They said, we want to go to Israel. We can get to Jordan. We can get to Turkey. We can't get to Israel. Because there's a, there's a barrier. There's a religious, spiritual barrier that prevents us from going there. We're, we're, we're seeing the battle play out before our eyes. And here's what it reminds me of, that God is faithful to his word. He's a covenant-keeping God. If he said it, he'll do it, and he'll bring it to pass. And if he's given you a word of promise, and you thought it's been left away and disappeared, I'm telling you the thing about God is he's able to bring it back into your life. He's able to restore things. He keeps his word. He will do it. That's what makes him God. He takes things that have died, and he resurrects them. He restores them. That's what the Valley of Dry Bones is about. Now, we're working through a timeline here. It's chronological. You look at Ezekiel you got an ancient hatred. you got Israel being brought to its land. And then we come to the very, very curious chapters of Ezekiel 38 and 39. The last time I got to walk through these passages of Scripture, I looked at my notes. It was 2014, almost 10 years ago is the last time I got to talk about this. And, you know, th these, are, these are really interesting passages of Scripture. I tried to get out of this. I prayed. I said, Lord, you really want me to teach this this week? And this is where he led me. Now, look at chapter 38, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. He said, son of man, maybe speaking to Ezekiel, set your face against Gog. Now, that name Gog uh, is like the name of like a king, a, a ruler, uh, like a president, who he said is in the land of Magog, and he called him uh, the prince of Rosh. Now, I, I want to highlight a couple things here. First of all, the word prince right there in the Hebrew is referring to like a prince spirit, like a principality that Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And uh, Daniel mentioned the prince of Persia. He mentioned the prince of Greece. And here it mentions the prince of Rosh. Now, many scholars believe that Rosh is referring to Russia. There's a lot of people that believe that. If you look in the world today, it's not such a far stretch to, to do that. But I was reading commentaries, and everything I get my hands on, there's, there's you know, debate about what, who this is referring to. Here, here's what I would tell you. Satan is at work in the world manipulating governments. He rules in the affairs of men, but he loves to control the populations. And so he, he is, you know, the, I mean, think about America. Think about the demonic oppression that exists in our land. Half the people in this nation are on, like, prescription meds for antidepressants. And then we've got an incredible problem with drug use taking place. It's like there's a spirit in the land, and Americans find themselves depressed and on drugs. You can't tell me that's not a spirit at work in people. There's a spirit that works against people. He mentions um, Meshach and Tubal. Uh, and again, probably my opinion on this is you're talking about 
the, the nation of Turkey. It could be Russia, somewhere in that region of the world. And he says, prophesy against them. Say, thus says the Lord, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. He's speaking here about this, this demonic spirit that's influencing nations. And so he, this is what he said. I'm going to turn you around. I'm going to put hooks in your jaws. I'm going to lead you out with your army. Someone say army. Horses, horsemen, splendidly clothed, a great company with shields and bucklers and swords. So he's describing a, an army that's being formed. And then he mentions specific nations. This is why the Bible is so interesting. It mentions Persia, which is present day Iran. Anyone keep up with the modern news today? <laughs> I mean, th this is fresh out of the pages of uh, the newspaper. He mentions Ethiopia and Libya. That's North Africa. You know, you probably didn't notice this, but Algeria's Congress has declared war on Israel. Uh, that's where uh, present-day Libya would be in Bible days. Like, like they, they've said they're on the side of the Palestinians. And, and then he mentions Gomer, verse 6, its troops in the house of Tomarga uh, from the far north. And he said, many people are with you. Now, Gomer and Tomara, th these are present-day Turkey. Now, have you kept up with this guy in Turkey, President Erdogan? He's the guy in charge in Turkey right now. And he's saying the same thing. He says that the Israelis are occupiers, the Israelis are terrorists, that he is preparing his armies to go down and fight against the Jewish people. That's what the president of Turkey is saying. When we got to hang out with Major Elliot on the tour in Israel, we would ask him these questions about Genesis or Ezekiel 38, Gog and Magog. Is it Russia? Is it Turkey? His, this is the guy who wrote the field guide for the IDF. He's a brilliant man. At 20, he was working on the CIA. He was our tour guide. And he told us, he said, if we're afraid of anybody, it would be the Turkish army. Because he said they have millions of people, and they're trying to reclaim that Ottoman Empire. He was, and so what you see in this passage of Scripture is that they're getting ready for a war. Here's the point I want to make. Israel is headed for a war. A war is coming to Israel. And the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that you see taking place, that's a precursor to a larger conflict that's coming. You're watching it right now. You're watching the beginning phases of what the Bible predicted coming to pass. And, you know, I, I think it's fun because I was watching old Anderson Cooper on CNN, and even Anderson Cooper was frustrated with the way the Palestinians were treating everybody. <laughs> he was like, well, you can go to Israel and you can film. And, and he was proving, man, that, that there's a lot of shady stuff taking place in the Palestine, Hamas. You can't trust what they were saying. Uh, you're, you're watching these things form before your eyes. Now, I, on Sunday morning, and a lot of times, I just like to be practical, and I like to teach you practical things, and I, I try to teach directly from the Bible like I'm doing today, but today I get to be a little bit speculative, just for fun, just to be a little speculative about what could take place, and that's because this passage is debated, all right? Like, when is this battle going to take place? It is an open question, and I study it from different sides. I've read scholars, tons of stuff this week. And there's ideas of when it's going to take place. Some people believe this battle's coming before the uh, rapture of the church, or they place it right at the beginning of the tribulation. They say that because it mentions like a seven-year period when, when all the weapons that are used are going to be uh, burned and used for energy. That technology currently doesn't exist. That's what the passage indicates in Ezekiel 30. I'd go through it, but I don't have time to cover it all this morning. Some people say it's going to be in the middle of the tribulation. I don't think that's where it's at. Some people feel this could be the battle of Armageddon itself. That could be possible. Other people believe it's the battle mentioned at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 20. That's not where I think this is at. We have enough detail to know the times, but not enough detail to know the exact timing. 
And uh, that's why we got to know the seasons, brothers and sisters. You got to know the season that you're in. You're, you're living in a season of time when you're blessed enough to watch these things take place on the world. And what it does is it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you living prepared and ready and right for the Lord's coming. That's how you got to live. You got to live in such a way that you are ready and watchful and know these things are happening. Because, you know, hindsight's 2020. And, you know, we could get dogmatic about the passage of Scripture, but since it hadn't happened, we, we don't fully know. I'm going to give you my opinion as to when I think this could take place. My personal thought on this battle is it could take place like before the rapture uh, or right after the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation. And I say that because there's all these different details about the battle. I mean, it, it gives indications like, you know, there's going to be that seven-year period where the weapons are going to be uh, destroyed. It, it talks about a burial site where bodies are going to be buried for seven months. It's different than the Battle of Armageddon. It also gives a different place of the battle. Ezekiel talks about the mountains of Israel. The, Arma, the Battle of Armageddon takes place in the valley of Megiddo. So there, there's different places. But I'm going to give you two in particular I want to draw your attention to. Look at verse number 10. Ezekiel 38, verse 10, is what the Lord says. On this day, it's going to come to pass that thoughts will arise in the mind of Gog, that, that leader that's under the influence of the Spirit. I'm going to make an evil plan. And he said, I'm going to go up against a land of, of unwalled villages. Someone say unwalled villages. I'll go to a peaceful people who dwell safely and dwell without walls. Now, Ezekiel saw a day in which the people in Israel would be living in towns that didn't have walled villages. That was unheard of in his time. And in the modern world we live in, there's no need for walls around villages. So you go to Israel, you'll find that the places are wide open like that. That's, that's what happened on October the 7th when they got overrun with people. Because he, he saw a day coming thousands of years ago, and he predicted with accuracy there'll come a time when the villages here won't ha have any walls around them. Look at verse number 13. He mentions Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions who will come and say, have you come to take plunder? Now, th these are so fun. You get to look back at ancient languages and try to figure out, you know, what nations is he talking about? I, I said earlier in the chapter, we're talking about Persia, Iran. We're talking about Turkey. Could, could be Russia that's mentioned in there. Uh, you're talking about North Africa, all Islamic nations. Here he mentions Sheba and Dedan. Dedan, you know, is Saudi Arabia. And then he mentions Tarshish. That would be like present-day Spain. And he talks about the young lions. So many scholars believe that this is a reference to like uh, Western nations, Tarshish, and their offspring, their young lions, nations like England. You know, the, remember Richard the Lionhearted was the guy that led the, uh, the, the Crusades. It's, and, and they often use the imagery of a lion. So the thought here may be that <laughs> there's Western nations that trade with people like Saudi Arabia who are uninvolved in the battle. It is interesting that Saudi Arabia in this battle is out of the conflict. They're, they're, they're not mentioned in this uh, battle here with Ezekiel. They're mentioned as people who stay off to the sidelines. And right now, uh, the USS Gerald Ford and the USS Dwight Eisenhower are sitting off the coast of Israel, and they're there just to keep the peace. Just in case Hezbollah or Iranians get any ideas, they're there right and ready in strike force. It's a posture that we have to try to say, you know, we don't want anything to happen. I don't know when this battle's going to take place. I just know that we're a generation that's witnessed the return of the Lord. 
the, or the restoration of Israel. That's what I mean, the restoration of Israel. And we very well could see uh, this battle take place. A battle like this is something that could bring about global government. You, you, you're, you're seeing the phases of this thing take place. So chapter 35, you've got you know, this ancient hatred that exists and a restoration of Israel. Chapter 38, 39, you've got a war. Could be Armageddon, could, could, but it's, it's coming. I mean, the players are here. The fuse is lit. Everything's lined up. And then we go to chapter 40 through 48, and that is describing the kingdom of God under the Messiah. It, it is all lined up chronologically from what Ezekiel saw. I'm just going to highlight two verses here. I won't spend much time on this last one. In the visions of God, Ezekiel said, this is chapter 40, verse 2, he took me to the land of Israel on a high mountain, and toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He sees a rebuilt Jerusalem. He took me there with a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. That's, that's Jesus, uh, the same Jesus that he saw in Ezekiel chapter 8, and he stood in the gateway. Here, here's the point that I want to make. Israel is forever. That's our timeline. What, what he sees right here is a new temple. He sees Jerusalem being rebuilt. He sees it under the rulership of the Messiah. He, he's seeing these things play out. The Jewish people are not going anywhere. Uh, Israel is uprooted from the land for its, his unfaithfulness. Israel has been replanted because of God's mercy. And Israel is forever, and Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. They're not going out of their land. They are staying there forever. That is what the Bible teaches. That's what the conflict is about today. You know what was so interesting about um, when we got robbed in my house growing up? Uh, was my, you know, my dad was a lawyer. So he, he was talking to the police and all the people who were involved. And what they found out was that all that stuff had been put in a pawn shop. And so we ended up getting it all back. By the time we got it back, Dad had already bought some new TVs because he had insurance. So not only had one upstairs, now we had a TV downstairs as well. <laughs> we had TVs because it got restored to us, man. I love that. Uh, they got brought back to us. Here, here's what, what I was sensing in my spirit when I was praying about this. I believe that between now... And the time of the Lord's return, God wants to restore certain things in your life that you might have thought was lost. Man, I was thinking about the valley of dry bones here with Ezekiel. What are things that you need to have restored in your life? This hit me. I'm going to spend just a few moments talking about this. Because in, in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, uh, he's talking about restoring an entire nation an entire group of people back into their land. And what it tells me is God wants to restore things back into your life. I'll tell you how he restores things. First of all, he does it by his word. I mean, Ezekiel 37 and verse 4, he said, prophesy to these bones, say, hear the word of the Lord. Yeah, you, maybe God's given you a word. Maybe he spoke something to you. That's what we had. My friend Dick DeWert was here last week. And he said, if you've ever got a word from the Lord, if he's ever spoken something to you in your spirit, don't ever let go of it. Hold on to what God has said. It may look hopeless. It may look like you missed it. But if God really said it, he's able to bring it back to life. So he restores it when he speaks it by his word. He restores things by his spirit. He said in Ezekiel, breathe on these bones. Breathe the breath of life into them. And they lived. And there's something about the Holy Spirit when he comes alive and you get quickened on the inside out. And it's like you, you can just sense that God is about to bring restoration. He does it through the breath of the Spirit. And he'll breathe into your life a fresh thing, a new thing. That's how God restores things, by his word. He does it by his Spirit. And by the way, God will restore things 
in his own time, man. He, he restores things because he's, he's got a perfect time in the way he does things. To everything, there's a time and a season. To every purpose under heaven. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 3, he makes everything beautiful in his own time. I like to, I like to quote Galatians 4. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time, God restores things. He does things. He births things. And, and then the Bible also says about you know, the, Joseph, who was put in prison and laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. God has a timing for things. He, he, he brings things back to life in his time. And I was thinking about restoration. I was thinking about all the things that God can do. There's no limit to what he can restore. Think about what God can breathe, what he can do in your life. Man, you know, he can restore your health. He, he can bring your health back. I, I love to tell the story of my mother. You know the story, man. She had that aneurysm. And uh, here she is. She's in like the 1% of people who recover and restore. And I remember praying for her. And I remember thinking, Lord, you, you need to heal this woman because we need a babysitter. That's my joke. But it's true, man. I needed some help with kids. Uh, it's wonderful to have health and life and grandchildren. It's like God restored a future right there. He can restore your health. God's able to restore your joy. Psalm 51, man. You know King David? He just had this horrible sin with Bathsheba. And he prayed that you would restore to me the joy of my salvation. Now, I have discovered this because maybe you've lost a sense of joy in your salvation. Maybe you've lost your passion. Maybe you've lost your fire. Maybe you don't sense the Holy Spirit breathing and flowing in your life. Sometimes God restores things through chastening. Sometimes he restores things through correction. Sometimes it's a discipline. And what it's doing is it's kind of repositioning you to seek him in a new way. I've lived long enough to have God do that for my life. He can restore the joy of my salvation. He can restore the joy of your salvation. He can breathe fresh breath into your life. He can breathe fresh things to you. I mean, think about what he can restore. He, he's able to restore relationships to your life. The relationships you thought had died, had been broken. You, you thought they were gone forever. And I've watched as God has restored marriages. I've watched as God has healed broken relationships, backslidden children. I remember one Sunday morning years ago, I was preaching on the prodigal son. And it was a good thing I did because we had a prodigal son there. And I just ran into him over here at Canyon Creek School. His kids go to school there with me. And he was reminding me during that whole message, I stared at him the whole time. <laughs> I was like, well, maybe you thought that or maybe that was the Holy Spirit. But I love to see what's happened to him, man. He's got four kids. He's serving the Lord. And his mom used to come crying to me, pray for my son, pray for my son. And God restored it. Brought that relationship back. That's what God's able to do when he brings restoration. He can restore your money. There's that story in uh, 2 Kings about a guy cutting down trees and his axe head fell in the water. You know, axe heads don't float because they're iron. But the prophet Elisha came over and prayed and that axe head floated up to the surface. God restored things. I was thinking about, you know, when Elizabeth and I first got married and she had that $50,000 student loan bill and I thought I would never be able to get through all that. I thought, man, this is hopeless. This ain't going to happen. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But here I am years later. I bought a house from a hoarder. And I watched as the Lord restored <laughs> all the money I thought we'd lost, man. God brought it back. Because that's what God does. He is a restorer of things. He, he can restore your years. He can redeem your time. I love to tell the story of my friend, Dr. Dave Roberts. He, you know, he started off when he was 30 years old as an abortion doctor, because that's where the money was. 
And when he got saved, he felt so convicted about all those babies he killed. He was one of the founding people to start Levee and the other clinics that help you know, women not have abortions. And for the next 30 years of his life, that's what he did. He spent all of his time doing that because God restored his years and his time. He brought it back. God can restore your hope. You might have felt like there's things that I have no hope for. I don't know what's going to happen. But I got a verse for you from Jeremiah 37, verse 17. There's hope for your future. If you just hold on to it, man. Hold on to what God has spoken to you. Hold on to the promises of God. Watch what he does. He takes dead things like the valley of dry bones, and he can bring them back into your life, doesn't he? Made me think about that song. I want to invite the worship team up here. And I want to sing that song, man, the valley of dry bones. I feel like the Lord can breathe life in your situation. Uh, I don't know what you need to be restored. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you feel like, man, this thing is dead. I don't have a family that you know, is around me. I, I can't get them back. God can restore it. Maybe it's your fire for the things of God. The hardest thing you go through sometimes is when you've got a passion you had for the Lord and life comes and kids come and things happen. And it's like, man, that passion I used to have, where did it go? I know that God can restore those things. He brings passion back into your life. He's able to do it. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe you think, man, I've lost out on this. I don't have the money I need. I don't know how to handle the situation. God's able to do that. He can bring back uh, 30, 60, 100 fold. He can bring it back beyond ways you can think. He's able to restore things. Or maybe it's just you know, your future. You feel like you've got no future. You think, I don't know where it went. I don't know what's ahead of me. I just know God is able to do that. So as we worship God, I just want to challenge you. I want you to stand up with us. We're going to sing this song. We're going to worship the Lord. I want you to think about whatever you need to be restored in your life, man. He's able to do it. He can breathe on the valley of dry bones in your life. He's able to do it. Uh, if you want prayer for something, maybe you feel like you know, that there's things that you thought were lost, man. I'd, I'd love you to come down to this altar while we sing. I will pray with you. We will stand with you. The God that I know is a God who restores broken things, lost things. In these last days, that's what he's in the business of doing. He's a restorer of the breach. He's a restorer of broken things, a restorer of the years. He'll bring it back to you. If you need something restored, man, I want to challenge you. Don't lose sight of what God wants to do in your life. I'd love to pray with you. There's so much we have lost As we look down the road Where all the prodigals have walked And one by one the enemy Has whispered lies and led them off as slaves But we know that you are God Yours is the victory Come alive, come alive. 
And I prophesy to dry bones, and we say, hear the word of the Lord, and come alive in your life, relationships, and finances, and purpose, and vision, and gifts, and callings, and things that you thought, man, God can't do that, but he can. That's the God that we serve. Lord, I just thank you for bringing, put a fire back in our spirits, Lord. I thank you for increasing our fire, and our passion, our purpose. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Woo, 
I pray, Lord, you bring us up level to level, glory to glory, by the Spirit of the Lord. Mm. Mm, I thank you, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. I thank you for fresh things, fresh fire, fresh fire in my life. You know, I, I, uh, I was sitting there singing that song, and sometimes I fall into this trap where I want to just push for something. I want to go get it. I, I want to lurch after, jump after it. And I'm reminded about how the wind blows. That's what Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to. It, it, it comes and goes. So what that means is it's like easy in your life. I really feel things that used to be difficult for you, God can make easy. His yoke is easy as burden in life. He can make the things that you're like, man, I can't believe this happened. I lost this. And you watch as God shifts and turns things, battles, situations, your family things that you thought, oh my goodness. But God's able to do that. He's able to do that. So Lord, I just thank you this morning. Yeah. I thank you, Father. We're here. And you're so good. You're so wonderful. You know the greatest thing that God ever restored? He restored the relationship you have with mankind. You know that? And it seemed hopeless. We'd sinned. We were outside of his presence. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him forever and forever. He restored your place with God. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. If you want to get something restored, that's the first place to start. Make sure I'm right with the Lord. He can restore you to your place of honor with him. I just want to take a moment. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not ready to meet him, your heart's away from him. I want to have you put a hand up and I want to pray with you. you need to go, you, you can go, you can get kids, be dismissed, do whatever. I do want to spend some time just praying. i got to worship you up here. I feel the spirit of the Lord. So if you want prayer, the altars are open. If there's something in your life that you feel like you're just pressing into and you can't get past, man, this would be a good place, a good time to be in his house. So, Father, we thank you this morning for the word of the Lord. I thank you for bringing restoration. Thank you for bringing dead things back to life. Thank you for healing us from the inside out. We just thank you in Jesus' mighty name.
Thank you. 